Hello, welcome back for another episode of Dysfunction Junction, your one-stop recovery shop for all things dysfunctional, toxic, and codependent. Today, we're going to be talking about the eight core codependency traits so that if you spot it, you got it. A lot of the times we don't heal from our own relationship challenges because we don't know where we fit in. We don't know we have them. So it's really important that you know, a lot of the times when people come to me, they're like, tell me why so-and-so is behaving the way that they're behaving. Tell me why, tell me if this relationship is going to work. Tell me if, how to get this person to treat me right and, and stop doing the things that they're doing to me. And we have all these things on our minds and we want to understand why other people behave the way they behave. But I have to tell you the secret to really understanding other people's behavior and being a really good people predictor and knowing if your relationships are going to work out, if you should take this road instead of that road, if you should get involved with this person or should you break up or make up. The key to that, the key to knowing all of that and really be able to trust your intuition and know exactly what you want and go for it is being able to understand yourself first. And that is the key. The key is why do you do what you do? right? Hi, why do you do what you do? And when you can understand yourself, you can understand other people. Uh, I'm a thrifter. I'm a huge thrift person. Uh, before, when I used to want to relax, before I was a healthy person, I used to use wine and alcohol to unwind and relax. And those days are over. Those days ended about 10 years ago. And thrifting took up the place. And I found, I just have to show you guys, I found this old leather bucket bag, vintage thrifting. Isn't it the coolest thing in the world? I mean, this thing's going to last forever for $7. Is that the best thing ever? I, I love um, thrift store finds. And now, by the way, I have a collection of Louis Vuitton bags, a collection. They don't hold up. Okay. They didn't cost $6 and they don't hold up like this thing does. This thing is going to be around longer than me. Okay. Very exciting. Hi, good to see you. I'm glad to be spot on. Leave your comments um, for me. And at the end, we're going to chit chat because this is live. So I'm going to riff a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit. And um, ah, that's what you do for a living. You thrift. What? I saw women in the thrift today and I was like, I know these women are like doing this for a living and turn. So I started doing a little bit of that, just like playing around. I found, I have a Poshmark. Okay. And I found like these, um, crazy like shoes, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars that I listed on my Poshmark. I find the best things, but this I found poor moi. For me, coolest thing ever, bucket bag. By the way, it matches the leather on my Louis Vuitton bags. It actually falls to shit and falls apart. <laughs> um, how do you get over anger and resentment? Well, that's a let's get right into it, right? That's a good question. Um, speaking of thrifting, before I answer these questions today, speaking of thrifting, I do have a bargain for you if you're a bargain hunter. And because sometimes the best things are not always the most expensive things. Sometimes the best things are offered at a discounted rate. That's what we love to thrift, right? And that's my workshop that's coming up. If you ever thought about working, but the, the, the bigger investment of working with me for a period of three months, that's my minimum requirement when I work with people. If you just want a deep dive and you want like a quickie and you want me to get in there 
and help you and answer your questions on Monday night, the 6th coming up. I have an intense deep dive two hour closed door workshop where I'm going to be in there with just you guys. It's going to be a small room. We're going to be in there together for two hours. I'm going to be teaching you why you do what you do and why other people do what they do and how to gain that valuable insight so that you can have the happiness and peace and relationships that you deserve. Because I think the ticket honestly is being so good at reading people and understanding why they do what they do. And you could predict what they're going to do next so you can make a better decision about how you want to be in relationship with these people right because i i know like one of my most popular videos on youtube is can a relationship with an addict ever work and you can insert narcissist mean person rude person selfish person controlling person you know manipulative you can insert all those things and that's what i do for a living i help people figure out man this is i'm like a psychological intuitive I can sit with you and know exactly why people are doing what they're doing and the likelihood of that thing's going to turn around or not and get insight into yourself so that you know the best course of action for you. So I just want to encourage you, sign up for that, especially if that you know three-month commitment or a year-long uh, deep dive with me seems a little overwhelming or you're not quite ready for that investment yet. This is a really good day, way to dip your toe into the water and experience some live coaching with me so that you can just you can see just how transformative it really is when it's a two-way street. It's it's pretty amazing. It's pretty life-changing. Um, I see your question, Irene. So Irene's asking, how do you get over anger and resentment? Um, I'm not sure, like get over. I, I don't think is the maybe the right way to look at that. Maybe move through. How do you move through anger and resentment is a better question. So anger is one thing. A lot of us are get a bad rap about anger. We're afraid to experience our anger. Your anger is your friend. Your anger is what gives you the hell no mentality that you need to have in order to say, not today, Satan. I'm not signing up for that crazy train. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I lost my ticket. Okay. Anger is a useful emotion. Now, if it's expressed properly, then it then it it goes away. But if it's misdirected anger, if it's anger at the wrong place, then it stays stuck. Or if it's repressed anger, it stays stuck. So it's really how you get over it is working. Okay, honey, you have to be back for the replay. Good. I'll see you. I'll see you on the re replay. Um, is having somebody come alongside you to experience that anger and help you move through it. It's a useful emotion. Like I said, it's what the thing that's like anger is responsible for the come to Jesus meeting that a lot of us need to have with ourselves as far as what we're not willing to settle for or tolerate anymore in our lives. So I help people get in touch with their anger a lot. A lot of people that come to me don't, don't aren't in touch with their anger. They've repressed it for so long in these codependency patterns that they don't know how to get in touch with it. And that's what I encourage them to do. The other thing uh, is a separate question is resentment, which can be attached to anger. Resentment is an expectation that somebody could have, should have done better than they had the resources to do. And again, in my programs, I have a seven-step process in order to help you overcome your resentments. It's not something, it's easier said than done. You actually need a guide, a psychological Sherpa to help you 
uproot those resentments, see where they're from and make sense of all of it and put it in its proper place. So we can't, um, you know, I wish we could listen to a, a bunch of videos and do positive affirmations and release and let go. But sometimes we actually need uh, like a Sherpa, uh, a, a counsel, a wise person who's been on the other side to walk you through that process to release the resentments. And that's why I created my programs, honestly, is because that's one of the biggest things we need to do is to overcome our resentments and get in touch with that anger so that we can heal, that we can heal. Healing is on the other side of that. So that's a great question, but it's not something that we're going to learn in a 10 minute video. It's through a process that you get vulnerable enough to sign up, to go through. And, and once you do that, life is never the same again. I promise you that. So let's talk about some of these core traits. Codependency. Why am I harping on that? It's because we you can't change it if you don't know what it is, if you don't see it. You can't fix something you don't know exists in your life. And codependency is one of those things that's highly misunderstood, but it's at the root. What's codependence? It's a way to function and dysfunction. And it's at the root of every relationship issue you have. I know that's a bold statement. Heidi, are you sure? Codependency is the reason that I'm suffering, that I'm settling, that I'm sacrificing, that I'm exhausted, that I'm anxious, that I'm uh, you know, hurt, that I'm in pain, that I have resentment. Yes, codependency is at the root of every single relationship problem you have. And I'm going to tell you, once you get into this codependency recovery, hopefully with me, on the other side of that, not just your intimate relationships transform, but every single relationship that you have, including most importantly, in my perspective, the relationship you have with yourself, because you might have an outer critic, you know, that has been in your life for a long time, a naysayer, somebody telling you you can't, or that you're afraid of their opinions or their reaction to things. And you feel controlled by their opinions of you, but your inner critic is so much worse is doing so much more damage than that outer critic. And what we don't understand is that codependency, when we grow up in an environment that's toxic or dysfunctional, and we take on codependency as a coping strategy, that inner critic is running the show because we believe, hey, I'm not lovable as is. I'm not enough the way that I am. So I need to be somebody else. I need to be more this, less of that, right? Can you relate to that? I'm either not enough or too much and nothing in between, right? So we just scramble and hustle early on in our lives to figure out who do I need to be to get love? Who do I need to be to get get a re, get a, the response that I want? That's codependency. Now, I'm going to explain it even deeper. I'm going to give you the eight core components, eight core codependency traits, and here's what to do. Identify. See yourself in one of these patterns. Identify. See your partner or whoever you're talking about in one of these patterns. And again, awareness is the first step. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm dealing with this, right? So that's all I'm trying to do today is shed some awareness so that we can take, start to get in uh, control again of our own lives and take our power back. You know, if you, if you don't know yourself, then you're whoever anybody tells you you are. You know, if you don't know yourself, then you're going to be whoever you need to be instead of who you really are. And you're never going to feel like anybody really knows you. You're always going to kind of feel like, you know, other people, but nobody really knows who you are. And that's because you don't know all the way who you are. And again, it's not your fault. It's your programming that you're running. Like I said, codependency is just a program that you picked up. So here are some of the programs we run. We're all familiar with the pleaser program. 
Okay. You're born into a family where your needs are last on the list and you get the message early on. Hey, it's not about what I want or need. If I can keep mom or dad happy, or if I can just be, um, you know, not a problem, then, then I'll be okay. You know, so pleasers learn that their value comes from self-sacrifice. They learn that the only way that they're going to be loved is if they go along with the show. They're so worried about rocking the boat or having needs or having opinions or having thoughts, especially if they're going to differ from somebody else, because they're afraid that the minute that they buck the system, love is going to be taken away. And at the core, pleasers fear rejection so much. They just want to be loved so badly that they'll say yes when they mean no. They'll take on more than they want to. They won't express their thoughts and opinions again when they're afraid that it's going to differ from somebody else, especially if that's a boss situation, you're at work and you have an opinion that's different. You just keep to yourself. And again, what do you feel like as a pleaser? Like a clone, like nobody knows who you really are, like a Stepford wife, right? Just being whatever you need to be to whoever you need to be it. And I used to pride myself on that. Like, oh, I'm a chameleon. I can fit in at a ball in a ball gown. I can fit in at the farm and a bonfire and a pickup truck. And, and boy, but the truth is, what do I really like? Do I like bonfires or, or balls? What do I like balls? I don't know. Do you, uh, you know, what do I prefer? A pleaser doesn't even know what they like. Did you see that movie runaway bride with Julia Roberts, where every man that she dated, she liked her eggs the same way that they liked their eggs. And then when she broke up, she went, she went run away from all these relationships. She went on an egg hunt to see which, uh, which eggs she liked better and tried them all. And the recovery program for a pleaser is just that. It's, it's making a decision to deal with the anxiety that comes along with saying no. It's making a decision to deal with the fear that comes along with being yourself in the face of people that are different from you and really just letting yourself out. You know, it's, it's hard for a pleaser. That's a big fear. So if you can relate to that, let me know in the comments if, um, if the pleaser is maybe a pattern you picked up. Another pattern that we pick up, especially if you grow, grew up in some kind of dysfunction like addiction or with the narcissistic parent, perfectionism is another codependency core pattern that we run. And perfecting is, I feel like I need to be perfect in order to gain your approval and your acceptance. And per perfectionism is really tough because like Tony Robbins says, it's the lowest standard you can hold for yourself because you can never reach it. You know, we, we strive to be perfect, but we know we always fall short. So it gives us an excuse not to go after our dreams. Perfectionism and procrastination are best friends. They're in bed together all the time because if I don't feel like it's quite right, I'm never going to quite do it. So perfectionists start things and stop them. They don't see them through projects to the end. Perfectionists demand perfection from their partners. They can be extremely critical and judgmental of other people. And you know you're a perfectionist pattern if you look around and everybody's like, I feel like I can't please you. I feel like I can never do anything right. And if you grew up feeling like you could never do anything right, you probably fell into this pattern yourself and your harsh inner critic is running the show, constantly judging a tape that never shuts up in your mind about what you could have done, should have done, would have done, need to do. And anything you do is never good enough. So that's the perfectionist pattern. How do you break free from that? Well, that's the program. That's the work that we get to do together inside of our course is we get to um, undo that perfectionism and really just, you know, I wonder, you know, a lot of my clients in our group last night, we meet on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern. And one of the, the women we were, we were talking about, you know, 
what's, what is this perfectionism? And at the core of it is I just want to be normal. I want to be able to make mistakes. I want to give myself permission to fuck up. I want to just be normal. What would it be like not to have to be perfect all the time? A lot of us who are perfectionist patterns binge drink and use other vices so we can feel like we can have permission to let our hair down. The only time you let yourself not be perfect is when you're under the influence of something. Maybe you can relate to that. Okay. Another pattern we run is controlling pattern of codependence, where we don't think most people can take care of themselves. So we try to tell other people how to do things. And we try to tell other people how to think and what to feel and what to believe. Now, controllers are very afraid at their core that if they're not in control, what? Everything's going to fall apart, right? So that you have to be in control all the time. You have, if you're a controller, immense anxiety and a feeling of overwhelm underneath of it all. And when you do let things go and you let other people take the reins, you feel so fucking anxious. You're like, oh my God, well, we'll wait and see how that turns out. I know because I was, I'm a reformed controller where I would be like, oh, I can't let anybody it's, it's an endearing quality, I think, at first. Like you just want to prevent mistakes from happening for the people that you love because you can see the writing on the wall. But the people that you're with feel emasculated, um, feel controlled, obviously, feel like, again, they can't do anything right. They feel like they're under your thumb. At its worst, controllers can actually go on the narcissistic spectrum and become abusive even whenever a controller goes awry. But I'm talking about a more benevolent controller or benevolent rather controller where you are doing this out of the, uh, because you really want to prevent bad things from happening. But again, you're full of anxiety, full of overwhelm. Another kind of uh, codependent pattern we run is withholding. We learn that our feelings aren't safe and secure. And so what we do is we hold our feelings all into ourselves. We keep people in arm's distance. Come here, but kind of like far away, not too close, because if you get too close, you're going to hurt me. Or if you get too close, you're going to reject me. So I just want to keep all my stuff inside and I'm going to observe everybody else and I'm never going to get too invested in everybody. Now, that's probably a really good strategy when you were a kid because it protected you from getting hurt because the people you loved, when you showed your sensitivity, it worked against you. But now the walls you build to protect yourself are the walls that are keeping love out, that are keeping people from getting too close to you. And you find that, you know, you're, you want to have this intimacy, you want to have this deep connection, but you can't have access to your feelings. You feel like you've done such a good job at repressing how you feel and what you want and what you need, kind of like the pleaser, that when I ask you what how you feel, you go, I don't even know. I kind of feel numb or I kind of feel nothing or I can't really feel my life at all. And withholders feel that way a lot. And the way out of that is learning how to be in your own skin, be in your own body again and get in touch with that feelings inside. And no, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to consume you, right? All right. Another uh, pattern that we run, we have four down and four to go, is a victim mentality, a victim pattern. And this is my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. I am the way you am. Be I, I am the way I am because of you. You prevent me from doing the thing I want to do or you. Now, 
this might be real. You might be in a relationship with a controller or somebody who is kind of tying your hands and not giving you the permission to be empowered. But again, that's an inside internal job. And I find that a lot of people who are running that victim pattern, like poor me, there's nothing I can do. You know, nothing good ever happens to me. They have a rescue fantasy that one day the right person is going to come along and save them. But they really actually, it's coupled with a hopelessness. They believe it, but they don't believe it. Right. Well, that's it's it could happen, but not for me. And it's really frustrating, this victim mentality, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody like that. You're like, hey, just use the tools. Just get your shit together. And they're like, I can't because it won't work because. And they're always full of excuses. And it can be really maddening, especially if you're a pattern that you're running, which is a fixer pattern. Right. And a fixer seeks out victims. A fixer is another codependency pattern where. You're like, you, you take on projects and you're like, you attract the addicts, the alcoholics, and the narcissists, the sick, broken, wounded people, because your value as a codependent comes from endearing yourself through fixing people, helping people. You don't know how to be in a relationship without being needed because your value is totally contingent upon what you bring to the relationship. And you can't bring too much to somebody who's already whole so you bring to somebody who's broken, so you feel like you are in with them better, right? Makes a lot of sense. Fixers and victims attract each other. And pleasers and controllers attract each other. A pleaser's like, whatever you like, for you know, coming to America, and a controller's like, yeah, you better get it straight. So codependence is co. If you are, if you're saying to yourself, oh yeah, my partner's a victim. Holy shit, Heidi. Oh my God. Ring it ding, ring a ding ding. Ring a ding ding. Okay. Well, do you know that you are a fixer? Because victims need a hero. Victims need a fixer. They can't operate without it. Oh, yeah. My partner's a controller. Oh, Lord, I can't breathe right. I can't do a goddamn thing without them co-signing it. Well, you're a pleaser because that's who you attract. And then there's a clinger pattern, which is making me think, because guess who's attracted to the clinger? The withholder. So that you guys can do this crazy dance all the time in this codependent dynamic where the withholders like restricting access and the clinger is like all in and this back and forth crazy dance codependent dance goes down and clingers don't realize this person's not emotionally available. So they rush after them. The vulnerable, the, the withholders, like I don't have to be vulnerable. The clinger just shares all their stuff because clingers overshare. So it's a marriage made in hell. But it's like, no, it, so it never works, right? Th these two are attracting each other. And then the final one is a pretending pattern. And that's where, again, you feel like nobody knows you because you're pretending you're okay all the time. When people ask you how you are, you're like, I'm fine. <laughs> and you're not fine. And behind closed doors, you're not fine. How do we know? All the wine you're drinking or all the damage you do on Amazon or all the coping strategies that you have for feeling like you can't vent and open up about what's really going on in your life. Wow, Heidi, you just described like, like at least one or two of the things I'm doing. I hope I did because the good news is after that first step of awareness, the second step is getting into some kind of recovery program for this. My program is a recovery program for codependence. It is identifying these patterns and then undoing them. You can't affirm your way out of it. Like we all know that the answer to self-love, this is no big secret. We all know the answer to codependence is self-love. Okay. You just have to love yourself. I remember I was working in a drug and alcohol treatment center. Now I, I, this is where I got a lot of my um, program 
came out of working in the drug and alcohol treatment center. I was there for eight years, almost eight years. And I was a coach there. I ran the family program. I taught self-esteem, healthy relationships. Um, we did family sculpting, um, adult children of alcoholics classes. I was basically the resident relationship codependency expert there. And, and I, all the people that were in there, as you can imagine, were on some kind of substance all the way from heroin to marijuana, right? And everything in between and, and sex and, you know, video games and you name it, addiction is all the same. And they were in these terrible relationships, as you can imagine. And I would say, well, what's the one thing you think you need to learn in order to break free from all this stuff so that you can ha be happy and be healthy and have control of your life and, 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 you know, make good choices and live your life on purpose. And they were like, I need to learn how to love myself. And I was like, yeah, how do you do it? And they're like, I have no idea because, and it's not, their, it wasn't their fault. It's like, there's no manual on that. You know, people that teach this teach like such bullshit. I mean, from my perspective, they teach like, yeah, take a bubble bath and like get your nails done and like go to the gym and eat salads. And okay. But I have to tell you, I mean, this is my lunch day. I used to eat salads all the time and I, I would finish my salad and still hate myself. I would just walk out of the salon with the, with, with the hair all did up and still feel terrible on the inside because that's self-care. That's not self-love. Self-love is a systematic step-by-step -step process that we learn how to speak our truth, find our truth, find our authentic selves, root down in who we, I get so fired up, root down in who we really truly are and stop all the nonsense, stop all the pleasing, stop all of the exterior voices telling us who we supposed to be, stop all the interior voices telling us that we're not enough right? That's, that's self-love. Self-love is making a decision to put yourself first, not in a selfish way, but in a way that enables you to honor yourself, honor and respect yourself. Cause I know at the end of the day, what do we want? Heidi, I want to be loved unconditionally. I want love. I want to be treated with the respect and kindness that I deserve. I want to be happy and healthy. And I want people to respect my value and see my worth and pick me. And you know, you have to lead the way. Do you know that you have to pick you? You have to demonstrate. And it's not a feeling. I love myself because I feel like I love myself today. Love is fleeting. Feelings come and go. Let fleet, feelings are fleeting. They come and go. Love as a verb is a decision. It's something you do every day and it's demonstrated in your behavior. And sometimes the very first step that you need to take in your demonstration of loving yourself is making the investment in yourself to get the healing that you need. Not taking your power outside of yourself and waiting for other people to change. Well, when they get it right, you know, when they finally see the way, when they finally get their shit together, that's not how it works. It's you actually making the decision to decide that you're worth it before they do. And you're going to lead the way. And what happens is once you go through this, this program with me and you get, you get this support and the coaching and the community and the relational healing that goes along with it at the end of this, what is, what's at the end of codependency healing? What, what really are we talking about? Right. If you decide to take control of your healing and go all the way, what's on the other side of it is an unshakable belief in yourself 
an unshakable knowing in who you are that when anything happens outside of you, you lose a relationship. Somebody says the worst possible thing or does the worst possible thing to you. Somebody abandons and rejects you. You, you somebody, you know, takes the job that you wanted. You don't get the clients. You don't get the whatever. It's nothing changes on the inside. You're not bounced around like a little dinghy on the ocean of emotion and everybody's like swaying you here or there. You don't get knocked around anymore. You're like a ship. You're steadfast in your love for yourself and your belief in yourself. And, and that's what that does is give you the confidence to say, fuck you to the people that you need to. No, thank you to the people you don't want. And yes, to the opportunities that scare the hell out of you to the things that you know you've been wanting to go after your whole life, you've been longing to do, you've been wanting to put your um, put your effort in and really go for that thing. Like a lot of my clients have courage. They can put up with a lot of shit. They can, they can power through. I know you can do that, but they don't have the self-esteem to see it all the way home. That's why they start and don't stop. A lot of my clients are brilliant. They are brilliant, smart doctors, lawyers, the coaches, all you, you name it. Very smart people. I'm a teacher to teachers. I'm a healer to healers. That's what I do. So I attract a lot of people who is their first rodeo. All right. They know. But the difference is, is that they have the confidence to get started, but not the self-esteem to see it all the way through. They're smart, but they do, they make dumb decisions in their relationships. And they're like, I should know this. I should know better. Well, it's not about an intellectual problem. It's an emotional stuckness. It's an arrestedness, a developmental arrestedness. And that's what codependency is. It's a developmental arrest. And you might've said, well, childhood, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to visit that. I don't want to talk about that. But along the way, you got the program somewhere. You got the codependency manual somewhere where somebody taught you this is how you need to behave and this is who you need to be. And, and recognizing that, that's why it's so important for this work for me to show you these different patterns so you can see yourself, so you can claim the opportunity to get better, to take control of your life and dive in. So I know that you're strong. I know you can put up with shit. I know you can power through, but I don't want to just talk about survival anymore. Aren't you tired of being an overcomer? Aren't you tired of getting knocked down and getting, not, getting back up again? What about living a life that's beautiful by your design that you stop getting knocked the fuck down? Wouldn't that be the life where you are so sure of who you are? It's not a cocky thing. It's not a narcissistic, you know, Instagram post of look how cool and amazing I am. It is a rooted, quiet confidence and belief in yourself that you don't know who you are. You know whose you are. Okay. And you combine all of the systems and, and, and your complete whole person, not just your ego, right? Who are you? besides what you do? Who are you besides how much money you're making? Who are you besides who people tell you you are? That's what we want to find out. All right, man, I was off. I was just on a tangent. Lord have mercy. Ooh, do you have questions? If you do, please ask them now, or I will come back in and I'll answer. I'm actually sweating. I got so hot talking about this that it, it, I actually am sweating now. <laughs> my God. It could also be the sweatshirt in Florida, but I, in my defense, it starts out here 61 degrees this morning. So you put the layers on. Okay. It starts out 61 degrees. And then by God, by like 11 AM, you're like peeling off the sweatshirts. You're you're, you're throwing your shoes away. You're just, it's, it's so hot. Okay. It's so hot. 
you were speaking to me. I'm a mix of all the things you were talking about, unfortunately. Well, you know what? Fortunately, fortunately, you can undo every single one of these patterns. How do I know? Because I've been helping people do it for a decade or longer, but this specific codependency thing, a decade. So I'd love to help you. I'd love to help you break free. Sometimes a lot of my clients have a problem like really trusting somebody to go all the way in. I, I'm like that too. I do my research, man. I'm like, I'm like, if you tell me you're going to help me do something, let's just talk business for a minute. Like I wanted to hire a business coach because I was like, you know, I don't want to get to the next level. And so I'm looking at her page and like, she's like, oh, so-and-so client did this. And what do you think I do? I go right to that client, that person's page. And I go, what are they really doing? Let me see their programs. Let me see how people, you know, like I don't trust anybody at face value anymore. Like when they tell me they're going to do something, I'm like, yeah, show me. But you're more than welcome. If you ever have a question of mine, I have clients who are more than welcome to even talk to you. You know, I'm going to be inviting some of them on here to share their experience with me and, and, and what that's been like and what they were able to do. A lot of my students become coaches. They go the whole way through and they become a certified empowerment coach and start their own businesses. And you can see some of them doing their magic um, and, and their thing as well. Um, but I understand sometimes it's going to take a little bit more for you to finally put your trust in and, and make a decision. This upcoming workshop is a really economical way to do that. Like if you're a thrifter like me, okay, like we talked about at the beginning, this that's that's a good option. So go over to lovecoachheidi.com and sign up. Um, by the end of the weekend, I'm, I'm going to take, take the opportunity down and away because we'll be full and that'll be it. And I don't know when I'm going to do another little mini thing like this. So if you've been thinking about working with me, go ahead, take the deep dive and and let's see um, how you feel after that. I'm, I'm quite confident that you're going to get so much momentum that you want to continue on. But even if you don't, you're going to leave with a really solid foundation. I feel like I'm a codependent, says Millie. My boyfriend is addicted to drugs and he is in the denial stage right now. We have a baby on the way and I keep hanging on, hoping he will change. But I feel like I'm losing my patience, mind, identity, money. I could fill in the blank here with many, many things um, my love, Millie, I want to tell you something. You cannot make a sick person see how they're treating you. Uh, that's an inside job. You cannot go to a sick person to make you well. You cannot go to the person who's creating the pain to stop the pain. And I know you said the rest of that, you're losing yourself and you feel horrible about the thought of leaving. I get that. So what I want to tell you is like, this is a long discussion, but I am going to give this to you, Millie, because it's just on my heart to do it. And you're here. Okay. You have a baby on the way. Um, what kind of relationship do you want to bring that baby into? What kind of dynamic do you want that baby to experience? Now, if you grew up in addiction, or if you grew up in an environment like that, it'll be easier for you to answer that question. Um, the other thing I want you to understand is there's nothing you can do to make somebody, you know, recover. There's nothing you can do to make somebody recover, but there are things you can do to help people stay sick. And one of the ways that we help people stay sick is by co-signing the behavior. Um, because if I say to you verbally, Hey, 
don't do drugs around me. I don't like that behavior. That's not okay with me. And then we're watching Netflix and getting a pizza later. I got a problem in my communication because what I'm saying doesn't line up with what I'm doing. And you need to get first clear before you even do anything at all. You need to get very clear, Millie, on exactly what you want. What is it that you want? What do you want for yourself? What kind of life do you want for yourself? What kind of life do you want for your baby? And then you need to get insight into your boyfriend. And what we can do is we can book a session where we can have a clarity session where you tell me all about your boyfriend. And then I tell you, this is likely, because again, I'm a people predictor. This is likely what's going to happen. This is, I mean, people tell, I mean, I just carry around a crystal ball. Okay. It's a psychological intuitive reading. Here's what's going to happen in this relationship. I see it very clearly. Do you want that? And, and after I sit with you, you're able to see and make a very good educated decision if this is something that you really want to sign up for. So I believe the first step is like sitting with somebody, either myself or somebody else who's highly qualified and equipped to be able to help you wade through this confusion so that you can really see all the way home to the end and make a decision from that place, not from the place of fear or anxiety or scarcity or lack or, or um, anything like that, but from the position of a rooted, okay, this is what I want and I can feel really good about it. You should never make a decision out of a confusion, right? It, it, you need the clarity first. And that's not, a, that's not an answer on a YouTube video. Um, that is a session. I want to, I want my baby to have a safe environment, but he's so distracted with his addictions. Well, baby is not going to have a safe environment in an addicted home, period. That's, that's a baby who grows up in an addicted household is going to develop one of these core traits, a victim mentality, a controlling, a perfectionism, a pleaser. They are going to have significant, um, here are the, here are the, six things you can count on that your baby will develop if he or she grows up in an addicted household. The first thing is control issues. They're going to have really hard time understanding where their responsibility begins and other people's ends. And they're going to feel very anxious and they're going to try to control that. They're going to try to control it. Another thing that child is going to develop is severe trust issues. There's going to be attachment problems. They're not going to know who they can trust. They're going to over-trust or under-trust. They're going to develop identity problems because they're not going to know how to be them, their true self. They're going to be whoever they need to be to function around the alcoholic or addict, and they're going to develop one of these eight codependency patterns. They're going to have significant self-esteem issues. They're not going to really know um, how to put themselves first because the chaos in the household makes this uh, child give up their own identity in lieu of safety. And they have no, they just do whatever they can do to survive. They're in survival mode. Okay. Um, I already talked about trust issues, emotional problems. When you grow up in addiction, you're going to have emotional problems, either accessing their emotions or regulating their emotions or expressing their emotions, responsibility issues. Like I said, some kids grow up and they become addicted to chaos. They get into relationships without addicts or alcoholics to heal it. That is not a safe environment. So when you talk about a safe environment for a baby, Millie, we don't just talk about our basic needs being met. Is there a roof over my head? And is there heat on tonight? We're talking, am I psychologically safe? Am I emotionally safe? Am I spiritually safe? And when I grew up with an addict or an alcoholic, it's no, nope, and nada. Now, if somebody's in recovery, then we've got a fair shot. But unless I'm in recovery, I am doing psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical harm. 
addiction is a form of child abuse. I love you. I hope you can hear that. It's true. Whew, heavy, 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 heavy. But sometimes we need to hear the real, real. Sometimes we need to hear the tough, tough, right? Okay. I love you. And I want you to make a good choice for you and for your baby. And I want everybody to make a good choice for themselves. I want everybody to think about what they really want and what they really desire out of this life. And then I want you to think about making, taking some action to make that thing real. All right. And what that means is making the next step to invest in yourself. You are damn straight, right. If you know in your heart right now that I'm doing everything in my power to get you to take the next step with me because I am, I am because we don't heal. Uh, we can only get so far on our own. We can only get so far by ourselves. We need a, we need a Sherpa. We need a, somebody to guide us along the path. Who's been there, who can walk the talk, who can see us clearly, who can help us navigate. This is a complex situation. Okay. He talks about quitting before she gets here, which is like two months. And he seems to be getting worse. I want to do the right thing. I love him so much, but I know I've got to do something. Don't listen to anything that comes out of an addict's or alcoholic's mouth. Watch what they do instead. I don't care what you tell me you're going to do. I care only of what you do. And nobody gets better in two months. Recovery is a lifelong thing. So as much as somebody puts in work to using is as much energy as they should put into recovery. Okay. So unless you see him physically going to meetings, getting support, getting a sponsor, a therapist, a support team around him doing the damn thing, he has no intention of getting better. Millie, I'm just telling you, because how do you want your life to be? And if there's a lie in your heart that believes you can't have any better, or if there are a lot, there's a lie in your heart that says that you're broken and that's who you need to be with, because that's a match for you, then we need to undo that lie and get at the truth. All right. I love you guys so much. I hope that this has been helpful for you and um, leave me a message, go over to lovecoachheidi.com, sign up for that workshop. If you want to meet me, spend time with me, commune with me, talk with me. Um, I'd love to do that because again, this is limited. This is kind of a one-way street. You know, I don't get to really see you and be with you and your energy in person over Zoom is uh, extremely important because I can read a lot more into the whole dynamic when I actually have you in front of me. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for being here, guys. I love you and I will see you very soon. Bye.